You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep-voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. And this is it. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television. So it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of D.C., If you don't follow us already, please do so right away. At the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communication. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We want to demystify our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with a dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. So now, without any further ado, let me introduce our guest, uh, Ward 5 Council Member Kenyon McDuffie. Thanks for having me, Josh. No problem. And and if I understand correctly, you're not just our guest, you're also our host. I am. Absolutely. In the Great Ward 5. We are in Great Ward 5. I'm I'm happy that you all are hosting this show right here so that every member who comes to record must come through Ward 5. Absolutely. And I'll I'll make sure they sign something to that effect uh, when, when they're in the studio. Um, I uh, So you're a native Washingtonian, right? I am. Uh, third generation, uh, native of Ward 5, been here my entire life. Uh, I live over on North Capitol Street, uh, close to McMillan Reservoir, the Washington Hospital Center Complex, in a home that's been in my family uh, for more than six decades. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, Now, looking back at your, um, actually, I take it back, you have a really impressive name. I I love your name. Mm -hmm. I love how it sounds. Can you tell us a little bit about your your first name in particular? I can can tell you that uh, it was something that my parents named me because they loved the name. Uh, There's no significance to the country uh, in Africa. Um, I, I will tell you, growing up, it was a very unique name, uh, and, and so I got teased a little bit about it. Uh, but I've grown to love this name. In fact, uh, I have named my daughters very unique names as well, uh, and their names are Swahili. And so uh, the fact that having something unique uh, when I was a kid was a challenge. I learned to love it. Uh, I stand out in a, a list of names, right. so to speak. Uh, and so uh, you know, it's just something I think is important. It really defines a person before even know a person is what their name is and what they're called and so I think Kenya is a very strong name and I thank my parents for naming me absolutely now I believe your wife also has a distinctive first name she does her first name is Princess and was was that a a selection criteria for getting married it's just so befitting because she is a gorgeous princess yeah (laughs) I just didn't know if the Marys and the Janes of the world were just out of luck they they weren't going to marry Kenya McDuffie because their names weren't good enough you know what she has an awesome name Uh, I have an awesome name Uh, we think we named our daughters awesome names my oldest daughter uh, who's 11 years old? Her name is Casey, uh, and my but it's spelled K-E-S-I. It's Swahili. Mm-hmm. That means born when the father had difficulties, uh, and I was a third-year law student 
who was studying for the bar exam. In fact, my daughter's original birth date uh, was the date that I was expecting to get my bar examination results. Wow. And so it was a very stressful uh, period for me. Uh, and so her name means born when the father had difficulties. And my younger daughter, Josie, is eight years old, spelled J-O-Z-I. Uh, and it means, it's also Swahili, it means uh, a pair. And so I have a pair of beautiful, intelligent, strong, confident young girls uh, who, if they're anything like their mom, are going to be fabulous when they grow up. Yep. I'm a father of a daughter as well, so uh, I know the feeling. And my sense is you might as well swing for the fences when you're naming a child because in the schoolyard, they're going to find something to tease you for. Oh, no doubt. It's going to be your name, your looks, your history, your clothes, your whatever it is. So you might as well have an interesting name. Yeah. Teasing's coming regardless. It it definitely grew on me. Uh, I have two older brothers and a younger sister. and, And of the four siblings, I had the most unique name so uh it, it took a little while uh, but it definitely grew on me and I'm, I'm very proud of the name and and i uh, appreciate uh being able to, to to tell folks what my name is uh, i wish i had something more interesting to share in terms of uh its derivation but it's just a name that my parents liked hey that's the best reason of all <laughs> yeah uh and a little uh, red-headed birdie told me i should ask you about your middle name uh, who's that redheaded birdie? Oh, it might be someone who uh, who's on the staff of uh, Councilmember McDuffie. It, it is also unique. Uh, I think we're going to leave some things to the imagination now. So now that all your listeners are going to wonder uh, what my middle name is. Okay, stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> we'll get back to the middle name. Uh, Maybe they'll appear in, in one of these episode. council uh, Twitter trivia questions that you are so awesome at. It, it very well might. It yeah. very well might. Um, Half the time, I don't know the answers to the questions when I ask them, but I know by the time uh, Monday comes around, I'll have the answer. There are probably not too many, too many people who actually know my middle name. Uh, I'll give you all a hint. It begins with an R. Yep, yep. And I have it written down, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to honor the <laughs> sense, the mystique. To the imagination. Uh, now, another uh, sort of fun detail is, uh, I don't know if it was your first job, but you sold ice cream at the zoo. I did, I did. So... You know, growing up in Northeast Washington, D.C., um, as I mentioned, I've been here my entire life. Uh, I started out in the public school system um, at Shade Elementary School, right on Lincoln Road in Northeast. Went to Catholic school for a little while, St. Gabriel's in Northwest. Graduated from St. Anthony in Brooklyn. Went on to Archbishop Carroll for a couple of years uh, and then graduated from Woodrow Wilson. So I'm a proud tiger. But when I graduated from high school, and a lot of people don't know this about um, me, um, I did not go to college right away. I finished up Wilson at a time when both of my older brothers had gone to college. Uh, but by the time I got into 12th grade, uh, they had both uh, left college. And so I looked at them. I said, you know what? Those guys are a lot smarter than I am. Had higher grades and test scores. And so why should I even bother? So I didn't apply to any colleges coming out of high school. Uh, I said I was going to go and get me a good government job uh, like my parents. Uh, my dad uh, worked for uh, several years and retired from the District of Columbia government as an electrician. My mom, uh, who's phenomenal, uh, worked uh, for several years and retired from the federal government at the Library of Congress. And so I said, you know what? They seem to be doing okay for themselves. I'm going to go get me one of those jobs. Here's what I didn't know, Josh. I didn't know that they weren't just handing out uh, jobs for uh, people who graduate high school with only a diploma. And so I struggled. I didn't know what I was going to do. Couldn't find a job anywhere in town. And so I landed up uh, at the National Zoo uh, on Connecticut Avenue. And my first uh, job out of high school was actually selling ice cream at the zoo. 
Now, now I'm an ice cream man personally. Mm-hmm. So are we talking like, you know, uh, ice cream on a stick? Are we talking Absolutely. Sundays? Uh, we're talking about rolling around a pop stop. Uh, one of those little carts. Oh, yeah. And I know you rode it to the stop where you were, and you just set up shop. Uh, and one of the locations that they have in the zoo that's really popular. Uh, and you, you just you sell as much ice cream as possible. And it wasn't really that challenging to, to sell ice cream. You can imagine if you're uh, up there during the summer where you get those uh, days where the heat exceeds 100 degrees. Uh, I was a very popular station. And was there any benefit to you selling more, or were you strict hourly? Oh, no benefit, whatever. Gotcha. <laughs> it's just you just ended up with more satisfied customers, particularly those young kids uh, who uh, have an amazing way to 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 get their parents to buy them uh, ice cream until their heart's content. Oh yeah, a little little arm twisting from a tiny one goes a long Absolutely. way. Um, and did you get did you get all you could eat ice cream? Was that one of the benefits, or did you have to buy it just like everyone it else? It was did? not. You can imagine uh, I had to buy it like everybody else, but you know. It, you know, occasionally you get some of that ice cream and you just kind of got tired of it. It's like almost anything. You work at a fast food growing up. I didn't, but I've heard uh, friends who tell me that you know, they worked in fast food as, as, as teenagers and uh, there's only so many burgers and fries you can eat. Yep, understood. Now, another job that I think distinguishes you from all other councilmen, I'm not sure about past ice cream sales, but <laughs> something that distinguishes you, I think, from all past council members is that you delivered mail. I did, yeah. So... Uh, after I worked at the zoo, uh, my mom, being the angel that she is, uh, you know, she was really, really supportive and wanted me and encouraged uh, me to attend college. And so I enrolled in the University of the District of Columbia, uh, which is the nation's capital's flagship university. And I took two classes. I got an F and one. I withdrew from the other, and I promptly dropped out of school in, in less than a semester. Uh, but uh, I was fortunate. Uh, right around the time that I dropped out from the University of District of Columbia, uh, I got a call back from the U.S. Postal Service, and I became a letter carrier. And it was really uh, a good experience for me. It was during a time where uh, I was still struggling as a teenager and trying to find my way uh, in life. And so to, to go from making uh, minimum wage, uh, selling ice cream at the zoo, uh, in a place where, although you know, I made customers happy, I didn't necessarily see a trajectory and a career path for myself uh, to working at the Postal Service where I earned uh, a fair wage, a solid wage, uh, and benefits. Uh, I really got a sense of, of, of what it meant uh, to be able to take care of yourself in the District of Columbia and earn a wage that allowed you to do so. And so I carried mail for several years uh, before uh, I ended up going back uh, to college. And you did that crosstown, right? I did. I did it out of the Friendship Station on Wisconsin Avenue. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Yep. So right across the street from the uh, old Fannie Mae building. Gotcha. Now, do you, um, when you're going door to door, that step walking has got to be a real asset. Like you have a history of walking up and down steps, delivering mail. Oh, absolutely. And that, that carries over to the, the political realm. It, you know what? You know, the work that we do in politics, particularly when you're out, uh, if you're campaigning, uh, if you're working hard, you're going to community meetings, which... Uh, I do at War 5, uh, you've got to be able to, to keep a fast pace. And, and delivering mail to the Postal Service uh, really, uh, I think, helped me understand the, the, uh, the hard work, uh, sort of that sweat equity uh, that you build going up and down steps, uh, rain, sleet, or snow. Uh, the mail was being delivered, and, and, and it really helped me and gave me, I think, a perspective that I carry with me today. Yeah, and you could definitely say you delivered to uh, 
to the citizens. Absolutely. Uh, that, then, is then my, and now. that is my top job as a representative <laughs> of the great people of Ward 5 is to deliver results. Yeah, I mean, the, the limited door-to-door I've done, you don't know how many stairs. You don't notice how many stairs are in the world until you're having to climb yeah. 10 up, 10 down, 10 up, 10 down I to get to row houses. I started out uh, occasionally running routes uh, just because I had a lot of energy, and I quickly figured out, uh, talking to some of my more seasoned uh, colleagues at the U.S. Postal Service, that uh, that is a quick way to, to, to knee surgery, to ankle surgery. And so... I learned a lot, met a lot of great people, um, you know, saw a, a lot of folks who taught me a great deal about our relationships. Uh, again, the, the value of making sure that you work hard, uh, you earn your wages, but you also uh, are contributing a valuable service to people. Uh, we had, uh, you know, this is before uh, email was, was popular and, and weren't as many commu- uh, computers or, or handheld devices, and so people really relied on their mail. and. Uh, you had to be prompt, uh, you had to be accurate, uh, and you had to make sure that you uh, did that service with a smile. And so I still to this day really appreciate uh, the service that our, our U.S. letter carriers provide uh, to households around the country. Now, do you have any one crazy story from your days uh, delivering mail? It's okay if you don't. Chased by a pack I, of dogs. You know, or I, I don't have necessarily, I've been chased by plenty of dogs. Uh, I, I, I had to jump over a fence once uh, when I was being chased by a dog, and thankfully I did not drop the mail. Um, I also almost, uh, I almost had an accident once uh, during a, a snowstorm uh, with a lot of ice. I think it was back in 1990. It was the summer of 95, so the winter of 96, I believe it was. One of those, uh, one of those blizzards that we had in District of Columbia. And I, I came literally within uh, three inches of hitting a car. And I parked a car. And I didn't want to lose my job. And I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I was so new at it. Yeah. And I called back to the station and said, you know what? You all can come get this car. Uh, I am not going to hit the vehicle that's right here, but I'm going to make sure I deliver the rest of the mail. Well played. <laughs> well played. Now, it sounds like the, the postal service job is kind of the job that the you coming out of high school was looking for. You know, a dependable government job with a path to seniority and good benefits. But you ended up Believing that you got what you were looking for, what what ended up making you change your uh, perspective? That is a great question. Uh, I think anybody who's who's lived in the district for a while understands the history of the role of government uh, plays in in employing our residents and our citizens. And uh, like I said, you know, I, my parents had, had done all they could to to provide uh, a a house, a solid education, and really a great foundation for myself and my siblings. And so I wanted to get a job like them. And I aspired to be like them. And, and when I got the job at the Postal Service, uh, I started to do really well for myself. Uh, financially, uh, I could definitely take care of myself and, and could help out others uh, who found themselves struggling financially as well. And so uh, I think I, I, at that time, I had exactly what I wanted. Uh, I had a career path. Uh, if I wanted, there was an opportunity for management. Uh, it was a solid wage. And uh, you know, I worked really hard at that job. But at the same time, when my own financial circumstances were improving drastically, I saw people in my neighborhood struggling. Uh, parents of my friends uh, who didn't have quality jobs, uh, my friends themselves who were dropping out of high school, going off to prison, and unfortunately, I even watched some of my friends uh, lose their lives to violence uh, on the streets of the District of Columbia, and I felt like there had to be more. Uh, I didn't know what exactly it was gonna be, um, but I know uh, that I was surrounded by a, a solid family. Uh, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who was in college who always provided me a love, support, and encouragement. 
And I made a really tough decision, Josh, uh, to leave the Postal Service uh, when a lot of folks told me that it was a bad idea. Uh, they, friends and extended family and others who said, you know what, why would you leave this good government job to go back to college when you've already done that and you failed? And so uh, were it not for that, that immediate family, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sister, uh, my, my then girlfriend, my now wife, uh, who said, you can do it. Uh, and so I took a leap of faith. I left uh, in August of 1994. I re-enrolled in the University of District of Columbia. Uh, and that time, it, was, it, was, it really worked out for me. I, I did really well. I was focused. I was more mature. I was paying for it myself. <laughs> and after about a year at the University of District of Columbia, I transferred over to Howard University and ended up graduating from Howard uh, in the top 5% of my class with a degree in political science and community development. So it's all about timing. It was all about timing. It was all about support. Uh, it was all about having a community uh, who l- reached down uh, and lifted me up and helped to propel me uh, to fulfill my dreams. Now, I think it was about that point where you started to get into government. And when I say government, I hadn't realized this till I looked at your resume. But you clerked for a judge, you worked in Maryland State Government, Department of Justice, and the Deputy Mayor for Public Safety and, and Justice, as well as working for Eleanor Holmes Norton. You've got all three branches of the government down. I mean, Schoolhouse Rock, the Three Ring Circus, you've Absolutely. done executive, judicial, legislative. Uh, tell me about that. that. That is the broadest, by far the broadest background Absolutely. Uh, in government of any council member. No, I, I've got a perspective from every branch of government. Uh, when I finished up at Howe University, uh, I worked on a campaign. Uh, for a person who was seeking an at-large seat on the Council of the District of Columbia, and I and I frequently uh, give my my friend Chairman Mendelson a hard time that I was I was campaigning against him in 2002, but uh, I ultimately landed a job uh, with Eleanor Holmes Norton uh, in 2002 out of Howard University, and just had a wonderful time working for Congressman Norton. She's our warrior on the hill, and I learned so much from her. Uh, I started out in her constituent services office, uh, enjoyed working on those tough issues. Uh, for residents of the District of Columbia and eventually made my way up to her Capitol Hill office where I assisted the legislative staff in their work. Uh, I got inspired to attend law school. Uh, I got a great recommendation from the congresswoman and I went off to the University of Maryland uh, where I was a member of our uh, Civil Rights Law Journal. And after finishing up law school, I clerked for a judge in Prince George County Circuit Court. Uh, she was the juvenile judge in charge. Uh, judge uh, Melanie Shaw Jeter uh, was just phenomenal mentor and, and she helped me in so many amazing ways uh, to get that perspective of what it's like to sit in judgment of people. Uh, and I did that for a while, went upstairs, became a prosecutor in the Assistant State's Attorney's Office in Prince George's County, uh, and eventually made my way to the United States Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division, where I traveled the country enforcing uh, really important civil rights laws, investigating jails, prisons, mental health facilities, juvenile justice facilities, and also investigating uh, police departments. And so I worked in the special litigation section where uh, your listeners will be familiar with some of the folks who investigated Ferguson, Missouri, or investigated uh, Baltimore when uh, they had the, uh, the death of Freddie Gray. And I worked in a unit that did the pattern or practice investigations uh, when there were allegations of uh, police brutality or racial profiling within uh, law enforcement departments, uh, that unit would go out, investigate, uh, and see if they can provide technical assistance, reach consent decrees, or litigate if necessary. And then what brought you to the legislative? Well, you know, it, it, again, I'd gotten what I thought was my dream job. 
I uh, started in 2008 uh, in Department of Justice and, and shortly thereafter uh, the election, uh, historic election of President Barack Obama. And it was a time where we were starting to see more resources at the Department of Justice. Um, we were ramping up the operations of the special litigation section. And I was traveling the country uh, in California, in Connecticut, in Georgia, in uh, Paducah, Kentucky, Silver City, New Mexico, uh, parts of the country that I would probably never have visited otherwise. And so it was really an amazing experience for me. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I, every morning I had to, to walk through my own neighborhood in order to get the bus to, to the metro station to come to work downtown. And I just saw something missing uh, in my small stronghold neighborhood in Northeast where I thought that I could provide uh, more uh, in terms of identifying policies and resources to contribute and help to lift people up in my neighborhood. And so I had been you know, president of my civic association in the past during college. Uh, I was even during that time uh, uh, had been elected again to be president of my civic association. And it was just really that community activism uh, that inspired me to seek uh, elected office. And so I resigned from the United States Department of Justice to run uh, for War 5. Unfortunately, uh, I ran up against uh, a really popular and solid name in War 5 politics, uh, and that's Harry Thomas Jr., uh, who uh, was an incumbent whose dad had held the seat for three terms. Uh, and I came in third in a race with only four people. Uh, and so uh, the, the voters of War 5 weren't ready for, for me just yet. Yeah, for a future trivia question, I need to pull that background, how many have run and lost before winning? Yeah, well, I, would, I would definitely fall on that list. I ran and I lost in 2010. Uh, and then uh, fast forward to 2012, I ran in a special election uh, where 25 people picked up petitions, 12 people ended up on the ballot, uh, and I was elected uh, with more than 40% of the vote. And so I've been proudly representing the residents of Ward 5 uh, since May of 2012. That's another fun trivia question, because a lot of council members did come from special elections. They absolutely did. I mean, uh, Chairman Mendelson, David Catania, Jack Evans, absolutely. Uh, just off the top of my head, so... Um, so let's talk a little bit about Ward 5. I feel like if you did word association with a lot of D.C. residents, they would come up with something for each ward with the possible exception of Ward 5. You know, Ward 1, small, diverse, Latino, Ward 2, downtown, Georgetown, Ward 3, mm -hmm. upper class, Ward 4, Gold Coast, 6, Capitol Hill, 7 and 8, east of the river. I'm not saying those are positive or negative, you know, but you come up with something and mm -hmm. with ward five it's interesting that i think for a lot of people they don't have words for the ward and i think that's a, a challenge and an opportunity no i think you're right uh, i think ward five is really the heart and soul of the district of columbia i think you get some of everything when you come to ward five i think you get uh, the beautiful row homes uh, that you find in, in bloomingdale and you find in trinidad uh you get uh, the, the, the beautiful uh, parks uh, from our, our federal parks, our Fort Circle parks. Uh, you get uh, quality uh, health institutions. Uh, you get uh, great universities like Gallaudet, Trinity, and Catholic University. You get a little Rome uh, with uh, Brookland and all the influence of the Catholic institutions in Ward 5 as well. And then you get a solidly blue-collar uh, working class who I think have been the foundation for uh, District of Columbia uh, for so many years, uh, particularly since we've had home rule. 
you've got retired teachers. You've got uh, retired uh, municipal workers. You've got, um, you know, there are even, uh, you know, people who have lived in the District of Columbia, uh, who've worked at, at the universities, who've been uh, very prominent. Uh, uh, you know, and so I think I think you get some of everything when you come to War 5. We even have uh, a thriving corridors now, like New York Avenue, like North Capitol Street, where we've got new restaurants, new shops. We've got breweries and distilleries, uh, given some of the, the laws that I've been able to pass, working with my colleagues, where uh, I refer to Ivy City as the center of innovation uh, for the nation's capital now, given that we've got a really bustling food scene with La Puerta Verde, with Ivy City Smokehouse, with Ari's Diner. Uh, you've got, you know, again, all the breweries and distilleries, and, and you've got people that look like everybody uh, in, in Ward 5. And so I'm just, I'm proud to represent what I think uh, is the best part of the city. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, this is the best job anybody can ever ask for. Yeah, people say, uh, you know, there's not a lot of loft apartments in D.C. because there's not industrial architecture. And the reality is there is industrial mm-hmm. architecture. It just was in places that people chose not to live yeah. back yeah, in the day. But absolutely. now, uh, you know, I think what what might have been seen as a negative about Ward 5, the industrial history, is a great opportunity. Yeah. There's room to do everything there, and there's cool stuff in Ward 5 that no one else has. That's a great point, Josh. i got to tell you, uh, one of the biggest challenges when I assumed office in 2012 uh, was the industrial land in Ward 5. Uh, Ward 5 uh, uh, had become synonymous with industrial land and sort of the the challenges that come along with trash transfer stations, with uh, municipal parking lots, heavy equipment, bus lots, and the like. And I established, uh, working with my colleagues and working with uh, then-Mayor Vince Gray, the Ward 5 Industrial Land Transformation Task Force. It was one of the first things I did when I got into office. And we spent the better part of a year and a half with uh, all the agencies that were relevant, the Office of Planning, Deputy Mayors for Economic Development, uh, DDOT, DPW, uh, really re-envisioning and reimagining how we use our industrial land. Uh, We wanted to preserve the good neighbors who were uh, employing people, uh, quality jobs uh, in our industrial land, but we also wanted to introduce new uses like breweries, distilleries, restaurants, in some cases residential as well. And I think it's become a phenomenal mix Uh, in parts of Ward 5, like Union Market, like Ivy City. Uh, We're looking at areas around North Michigan Park, uh, around, uh, you know, Brookland, where you still have some industrial land to make sure that it is serving the residents uh, and and is employing uh, the people in the District of Columbia. Um, Now, quickly, two last quick questions, uh, because we're running out of time. If we went back in time and told high school you that Future Ward 5 was going to have breweries and a Nike store and a fish smokery, how do you think he would have responded to that news? If he believed it, uh, he'd want to make sure there was a place for him and to make sure it was a place for all his friends to be able to go. And the beauty of Ward 5 is that uh, we are working to make sure it is a place for everybody to call home, whether you want to live here or whether you want to uh, be an entrepreneur and start a, a business here. Uh, it should be a place for everybody throughout the District of Columbia, and that's uh, what we're working on doing. The future economic growth of D.C. has to be more inclusive, uh, and I want to make sure that we're championing those issues for Warfare residents and residents across the district. Gotcha. Um, well, uh, we're at the closing. Uh, we have one more question, and uh, as you may remember, James Lipton from inside the Actors Studio, in an homage to Bernard Pivot of the seminal program Apostrophe, would ask all his guests the same 10 thought-provoking questions. I will not be asking you those questions. <laughs> Instead, if you could please rank in your order of preference these five items. 
cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, and pie. Top to bottom. I love this. I would go cake, cookies, pie, ice cream, candy. Gotcha. Been asking that question at dinner parties for years, and it always gives you kind of an interesting insight into people. Specifically, yellow cake, chocolate frosting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Understood. Uh, well, sadly, uh, we are, are coming to the end of our program. Another, another question I wanted to start throwing in, and this might just fall flat. Do you do any impressions? I do no impressions. Uh, I am a horrible impressionist, and I generally leave that uh, for my brothers uh, and my youngest daughter, Josie. Gotcha. Understood. Understood. I feel like most people harbor a secret impression, and I, 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 wish I, I want to be the one who you. breaks it out. No, but I, I, I take you at your word. <laughs> Uh, Well, I think that pretty much we're out of time, unfortunately. Um, But uh, thanks again, listeners, for joining us. Tune in in again next time. We're at DC Radio, which is 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. Thank you, Councilmember, for your time. Uh, Thank you, listeners. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, Josh. No problem. Thanks. Thanks.